This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. How do you define a great employee? The answer is most likely dependent on who's attempting to respond, the employee or the employer. I will concede that I have told previous employers that I would be the best employee that they ever had. And I actually meant it when I said it. Did it happen? I'd like to think so, at least once or twice, but it's not for me to say. Andrew and I have been both, and this is a topic that I think deserves a little time in the spotlight. Welcome to episode 125, A Great Employee. Today's episode is brought to you with support from Construction Specialties, maker of architectural building products designed to master the movement of buildings, people, and natural elements. Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we're going to be talking about great employees. And as I mentioned previously, I think this is something that we can do because Andrew and I have been both employees and employers. And I think that that actually shades the kind of answers that you might get when asked this question. Do you disagree? No, no, I think it's true. I think it's also interesting now I'm, an, I'm back to being an employee after being an employer for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I bet you love it, right? You no, know, yeah. <laughs> okay, so one of the things, and I didn't put this in my notes to talk about, but now I'm thinking we should probably put it out there. So what I wanted to talk about today with you is not the business side of the employee-employer relationship. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying a great employee is someone who works for peanuts. Yeah, That's not my thing. It's not my goal. And I certainly don't set that as a standard for how I evaluate people's value or as a contributor to a company. Yeah. Are they 100% efficient or 100% billable or any of that kind of stuff? Yeah. No. So I'm not going to say we're going to be esoteric about it. Because actually, I think about this a lot. I think I've mentioned this before. Even that sounds kind of gross, but we have a talent retention group in our office. And we spend a lot of time talking about like, who do we need and what kind of person do we need and what kind of attributes do we want to look for? And then when people get brought on board, we're like, well, we got to make sure that we put them in a place where they succeed. And who's going to be the person that checks in on them to make sure that they feel welcome? And who's taking them to lunch on the first day that they're here so they don't like wander around like a lost goat? Yeah. We spend a lot of time talking about this. And so I wanted to talk about it today, but the thing that kind of made me really start to do it is I wrote a blog post about this a long time ago, and I wanted to revisit it to go, what's changed? It's been 10 years since I wrote the one that I'm going to reference later on in the conversation. Mm. But I go, do I have a different perspective now as, as a Gen X 50 something, as opposed to a Gen X 40 something? <laughs> <laughs> so here's something else that I did is I reached out to a handful of different people. And all I asked them is I said, send me three to five sentences of what you think makes a great employee. And I thought this would be a good way to start our conversation. And of all the people I asked, only one person didn't respond. I would be willing to bet you a dollar I will get his response tonight <laughs> after we've recorded. Yeah, yeah, yeah It'll probably. show up in the blog post, probably. But I reached out to young people, not so young people, employees, employers, people in the field, people not in the field. I go, I want to know if there's any difference. Yeah. Try to get a good survey of different kinds of folks. Yeah. I ask people that I've known for a long time and I've asked people that I just met and they're probably like, why are you asking me this question? <laughs> 
So yeah, you wanted me to read a couple of these and just kind of let's kick the conversation off that way. Yeah, sure. Okay. So these are not in order of how they responded, but I am going to put one particular one first because I read it. And after I read it, I go, are you trying to pander to me? And she goes, what are you talking about? I go, it sounds like I wrote this. And I don't mean like the writing style, but these are all my bullet points. And she goes, now my dad taught me this. I pointed out a couple of things. She goes, I got that from my dad. <laughs> That's funny. And she's very young. I mean, I'm not even sure she's, she's barely mid twenties, barely mid twenties. And she's a superstar, which is why I'm going to lead off with her. What she wrote was a great employee first takes care of all the tasks they are assigned in the time that they were given or that they gave themselves. This includes taking notes, mental notes. This includes taking notes to facilitate that in the capacity that they know they will need to not forget or to miss things. This kind of speaks to self-awareness. They communicate well, giving notice as soon as they realize they may not finish something on time, giving their team a chance to pivot if needed. They cannot go above and beyond without first fulfilling the original assignment thoroughly and on time. Otherwise, the extras cannot be appreciated. They listen actively, ask good questions after first troubleshooting on their own, acknowledging that everyone's time and brain space is important. They present a willingness to take on other tasks to learn and grow and with a good attitude. Bonus points for visible enthusiasm. So there was a lot of commas in there. So she didn't go over the three to five sentences. So <laughs> yeah. she, she loopholed she's, me. She's got a couple of long sentences. She has a long sentence there. So there's a couple of hot buttons in there, communicating well, recognizing your limitations, taking on additional responsibilities, having good positive attitude. These are all the things, these are hot buttons that anybody in any job, if they demonstrated them, they'd probably be recognized for all those efforts. Hmm. One of the things that I thought specifically, I don't know if you remember this, I wrote a blog post and it was titled, The Best Advice I Ever Got. And basically, it was, do what you said you're going to do when you said you were going to do it. Yeah. And then I added on, and if you can't, let them know before you were supposed to have done it. Yeah, yeah. And she essentially wrote that same thing. That's part of the communication. You need to give notice as soon as you realize that you might not finish something on time. So you can allow your team to make adjustments. Mm -hmm. Which I think is really important. I would strike that up to being like a good team player. Not waiting till the very, very end to go, oh, I'm not going to get it done. And it's, you know, zero hour. It's going, realizing yes. enough and that self-awareness of saying, hey, it's going to be hard for me to get it done. Or I may not even get it done. So we might need to start looking at ways to mitigate this. Yeah. Right? And that's being a good team player, just period to me. Yeah. Well, it helps to be that level of aware and realize that you go, oh, I can get this done in like five hours. And then you realize I didn't get anywhere close to being done in five hours. Yeah. 50 hours now. Oh, crap. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so. This kind of makes me chuckle a little bit because it's come up a few times. The person who tells you they're going to run like, hey, I'm running late, but they tell you after they was, they're already supposed to be there. Yeah. I have a meeting with somebody at 10 o'clock and they text me at 10.08 and say, hey, I'm running a few minutes late. I'm like, no shit. I mean, it's, it's already past <laughs> yeah. when we're supposed to. I, you're I not know, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you're running late. So. I'm guilty of that sometimes, I must admit, but I try not to. The older I've gotten, the more I try not, I make a cognizant move not to do that. When I was younger, I would do those kind of things. But now it's like, if I know I'm not going to be on time, I'll tell you ahead of yeah. time. I'm, I, yeah, I, it's like I'll make it. Well, then somebody can do something with that time. Yeah, exactly. Instead of them just waiting around waiting to hit like the go button. So, yeah. So I thought that was a good way to kick it off because it really speaks a lot of 
about a lot of personal attributes that are portable. Like all these, doesn't matter what your job is. Yeah, exactly. They would apply to anything. Yeah. So I asked, this was from a buddy of mine named Brandon. He and I worked together briefly a couple of years ago. And, you know, hopefully in the future we'll work together again. He doesn't live in town anymore, but who knows? We'll work on that. So his definition was, Brandon writes, what makes a great employee is not only the willingness to go the extra distance, but also know when it's necessary to do so. A great employee creates healthy boundaries with work, instilling a sense in pace, forecast, and rigor with the project. Lastly, having the self-awareness to remain cool and collected and check your ego at the door is critical. Although hierarchy is important, a great employee looks at their team as a collective rather than who oversees whom. There's a couple things in there and I go, that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. I like that he ended it with what matters is that you're all working together rather than you have a general and then field marshals and then, mm, yeah. you know, foot soldiers. And it's the idea that if someone's working, everybody's working. Yeah. Right. That, that's an attitude that I'm sure that there's a lot of people that wish their employer or their boss or whatever word you want to assign to it. Yeah. Had that same mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There are times since I'm not really in Revit at all anymore, that there are times when we had deadlines and people, it didn't happen very often. But if somebody had to work later or had to come up on a weekend, I went up there and did stuff too. I wouldn't ever ask somebody to spend their weekend working while I go out, you know, fishing or something. No, no. Me either. I mean, granted, I was able to do stuff too. But when there was deadlines and it was all hands on deck, I was one of those hands. It's not like I said, okay, I'll see you guys in the morning. Make sure you get it done before you go home. Yeah. No. Yeah. Not my style. Yeah. Well, the other thing that he put in here, which is kind of interesting because... He kind of was the only one that did this. And he's kind of this guy, you know, he's, he's a free spirit to be sure. Any task or deadline he was ever given, he hit it. I'm just going to tell you right now, he will do what needs to be done to get stuff completed. He is that guy. Mm-hmm. But he's also a, I don't want to be a prayer any more than I have to. And my personal life is important and my physical life is important. Like I want to go work out at the gym. Like these are things that matter to him and he wants to make time. He wants to prioritize those. And it's important that who hires him can at least respect that that matters to him. And and you would think have some flexibility to the demands that I put on you as a person and the responses you get back to me as an employee. Like we find some balance between those things. Mm -hmm. I thought his was pretty good as well, which is why I included it. Let's see here. I really got like two or three more. I'll be fast through them. So I asked a buddy, a guy named Paul Freeland, who is a landscape architect with Kimley Horn. He and I have worked on two projects, I guess. And it was interesting because he is like employer level response here. You know, he's not, a, he's not young. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot of laps around the block. And his response was a great employee thinks critically about their task and the deliverables at hand. They are proactive, checking quality in their work, holding themselves to a high standard. They solve problems on their own and are great at follow-up internally and externally. They are self-motivated and collaborative with a positive attitude and a willingness to help their team in times of need. They are easygoing, open to feedback, and don't take themselves too seriously. That one might be my favorite one out of all the ones that I received. Mm. There might be some that I like a little bit better. Like I like that bit and I like this bit. As a yeah. whole, that's a good one right there. Mm-hmm. 
whoever he's describing, send me your resume. I want to work with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, this is problem solving. It's proactive. It's positive attitude. It's good communication. It's hitting all the same hot buttons that you would expect anybody would look. Yeah. I mean, again, it, and willingness to be a team player, do what the team needs. Sometimes what's best for the team is not what's best for you, but you got to do it anyway. Yeah. Right. Because sometimes it's not good for me and it's good for you. Right. Yeah, exactly. There's a deliverable quid pro quo sometimes that happens yeah. in this industry. A give and take. Yeah. Yeah. Because what I'm good at, you may not be good at and vice versa. And there's times when we need what I got and there's times we need what you got. And just be a team player, let everybody have their moment and give them the opportunity to do what they're best at doing. Yeah. You got to be supportive in those moments when you're not that person mm -hmm. that's put at the front and get the spotlight. Okay. I'll do one more of these. I'll include all these in the blog post for this. So you can see how everybody had slight variations of like the same kind of theme. So the last one I'm going to include is from a guy that I worked with years ago. He's actually an architect over at Marlon Blackwell's office now. It's a guy named Nick Thorne, who you know as well. Mm -hmm. So when I asked Nick this question, he came back with, first and foremost, they are effective communicators because this leads to positive engagement with others. They also possess a duality of other important traits, like confidence in their abilities while remaining humble, understanding their role while striving to advance their career, and being knowledgeable while continually learning more. Maintaining a balance between these characteristics is the mark of a great employee. I thought Nick did a good job. Yeah, that's pretty good. I like that answer. Yeah. He brought up something and he was the only one that brought it up. Confidence. Mm. If you go on the internet and you look at, hey, traits of successful and great employees and all that kind of stuff, confidence shows up a lot. A lot. Yeah. Often. Um, but out of the seven that I got, his was the only one that said confidence. Mm. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. And I think the, the hard thing sometimes is knowing the difference between confidence and arrogance, <laughs> at least with architects, it seems, but confidence is a good one. Okay. I'm actually going to do one more because it was the shortest one I received. <laughs> okay. It's from my buddy, Luis Spinola. He's a project designer in my office. And he wrote two sentences and for grins, for, you know, giggles. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three. Twenty-four words. Twenty-four words. Mm. Me explaining it has taken more words. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes. So he wrote, a great employee should be accountable for themselves, able to acknowledge successes and shortcomings and potentially missteps. Accountability is also an aspect of honesty. Yeah. And I will tell you, knowing Luis the way that I do, Honesty and integrity are two. I mean, like they're defining characteristics for this guy. Yeah, really important. Really, really important. And what's interesting is, so I'm actually Luis's mentor in my office. I have about mm. seven. And he's one of them. And Luis and I don't agree on, we're like 50-50 <laughs> when we agree like on how things should be handled or like yeah, the yeah. extreme nature something could go what's happening yeah yeah how things go yeah 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 but he's who i go to to bounce off ideas i know he'll be honest with me and i know that he'll deliver his dissension in such a way that's constructive mm, yeah which is a skill but yeah it is a skill it is a skill and and you know the truth is is i don't know that if he would say my dismissal <laughs> of his response is handled as as nicely as as well yeah as well frequently 
Well, here, here's a great example. He and I were having a conversation about coffee. And without getting into all the nuances, we have with people that are like, hey, you should buy us this super luxe coffee in this machine to make it. And I was like, why? Yeah. We already buy you Starbucks coffee. And they're like, but we want better coffee. And I'm like, well, then go buy it yourselves. Like, I think I've met my obligations by providing you Starbucks coffee. Yeah. And they're like, but we want this brand of coffee. And I'm like, well, then go get it. I mean, why are you asking me? Haven't I done what I needed? Luis was like, you should get up the better coffee. And I go, Luis, why? Why? So we have this, we have this, it's not an argument. Yeah. So we're, where I come back at the end of it, and this is why talking to him is productive. I went, okay, well, they have a snacks budget. If you want to go do that, take it out of your snacks budget. There you go. Problem solved. You get what you want, but you got to, you know, you don't get all of it. We're still trying to be, we want to pay for a nicer copier too. You know, there's, yeah, there's lots of yeah. considerations that go into it. Yeah. We've got other places for that money to go, not just coffee. Yeah. And it's not like we're not providing coffee now. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he's very good. He's specifically, I wanted to ask, cause I knew he would give me an interesting and thoughtful 24 word response. Nice. So I started to make a list of key words that were coming up with some repetition and everybody's responses that I got. Mm-hmm. And proactive, high standards, problem solving and critical thinking, collaborative, and good communicator. Those were pretty consistent through almost everybody's response with collaborative and good communicator being the gold standard in everybody's mm. description of what is a great employee. Yeah. Does that surprise you at all? Nobody said designer. Nobody said technical knowledge. No. I mean, it doesn't really surprise me at all, to be quite honest. As an employer, that doesn't surprise me. Because those are the kind of things that are really important. Because so many other things you can actually teach or you can improve upon or help people learn those things. But just the ability to be a good collaborator and or maybe I shouldn't say the ability, the inherent quality of being a good collaborator or being a good communicator helps a whole lot. Puts you much further ahead than having to learn those things because you can't always learn them and still be effective. But if you've got this innate or natural ability to do those things, it's helpful. Okay. I think what you just touched on something I think is really, really important for our conversation. These are not architectural skills. These aren't skills that you can get better at them, but all of these, you can have all these developed by the time you get out of college. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're in seventh grade working on being collaborative and a good communicator and being proactive. And I mean, like these are personality traits. Mm -hmm. It's not a skill set. Yeah. Now you can do things to improve yourself. Like that's a self-awareness trait, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm a bad collaborator. So you can go figure out how you can become a better collaborator. But these are things that if I'm looking to hire somebody, it doesn't matter what the experience they have. It doesn't matter how old they are. And that's really kind of why I was like, oh, I'm asking all these different people with different ages and different experience levels and different vocational backgrounds. All of the key trigger words that people had have nothing to do with the education process. You can bring that baggage with you day one. Yeah. Show up from wherever in whatever time frame and most part at whatever job. Yeah. yeah. You could work at the gap and be working on all these things. <laughs> yeah. Right. Sure. They probably ought to work more on them at the gap. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Gap. I don't mean to be picking on you. Bus, here it comes. Brown. <laughs> no, <laughs> I haven't been in a Gap in so long. More from Life of an Architect in just a moment. 
Andrew and I are joined today by Tyler Jacob, Specification Sales Manager for Drift Ready and CS Prefabricated Solutions. He's been in the commercial building industry since 2016 and has always focused on life safety, structural resilience, and improved construction methods. He is passionate about modular construction methods and making buildings better through innovation. Tyler holds a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering from University of Nevada in Reno. Hi, Tyler. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Bob and Andrew. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you? Where are you at right now? I'm in the home state of my alma mater. I'm in Reno, Nevada. Oh, all right. Nice. How's the weather in Reno today? Yeah. Sunny and spring-like. It's uh, back in the 70s after one of the most epic winters of all time. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Is that even a thing in Reno? Winters? Oh, yeah. I'm right at the base of the Sierras here, just over the hill from Lake Tahoe. So we had... Oh, over 700 inches of aggregate snowfall this year. So the skiing was great. <laughs> wow. Wow. Right, well, there you go. Shows how much I know about <laughs> Reno. That does sound epic. All right. Let's jump right into multi-level building projects and the safety challenges that construction managers attend to when buildings start going vertical. And it comes to temporary stairs and ladders. So what we deal with and what we provide is a modular stair system that is stackable, modularized, and prefabricated. And what the use of that product does, our system is faster, easier, safer than traditional methods. So we eliminate the need for rental or temporary stairs, which is a cost savings. And we also eliminate the need for ladders or temporary fixtures for workers to move different levels throughout the project. So our system is what we like to call faster, easier, and safer. Well, that's catchy. <laughs> it's got to be better than those hammered up two by fours to make a ladder, right? That's correct. I've climbed on a few of those myself. And they're, <laughs> yeah, they're, me uh, too. They're a little bit scary, even for somebody that's not really scared of heights. So let me ask you this question. I'm looking for a safer, better, faster, cheaper stair. Mm -hmm. So what is that process of when I decide I want it? To, how do I get it? Excellent question again. We try to be involved as early as possible, which is a little unorthodox for a vendor, but we encourage architects, general contractors, structural engineers to involve us as early as the design development phase. Not to say that we can't be involved later in the process, even sometimes as late as 100% construction documents, but we are occupying a stair shaft with a modular product. So as opposed to something that would normally be field measured, brought it in pieces, requiring dangerous or complex lifts where a stair would be lifted with a chain hoist over somebody that's in there getting ready to weld it in place. We provide a solution that can be installed on the ground level ahead of the building or down into an existing stair shaft that's already poured or a CMU shaft. So earlier the better, but we can integrate later on in the process. That's pretty interesting. So what's the services you guys provide in that process? say I come to you and I have an idea about that, what are the services that you're using to help me figure all that out? So as an architect coming to us looking to specify us on the project or a general contractor looking to purchase the product outright and integrate it into a project, we provide you an engineered service. So from the get-go, we do a feasibility study to ensure that we can make the stairs fit and how we're going to connect back to structure, how that impacts engineering and architectural elements. From the time that we all agree that this product is going to work in the project, then we move on to producing engineered shop drawings, so for submittal. And then we, once those submittals are approved or if they come back noted, 
we make changes, we get the approvals together, and then we go to manufacturing and delivery. And we provide these either in a flat packed configuration or they come already assembled, ready to be set in place directly off the truck. I would add that a traditional stair, you might be installing, let's say, like on a previous project, we installed six floors in a day. That's a single day activity. You may be taking 12 days to do that with traditional methods. The idea is that we're vastly faster than something that would be done traditionally. So about an hour and a half per unit to install these stairs. So from going ground level to floor number two, that's an hour and a half worth of work for a crew of four. That's impressive. Wow. So this system, if we put a bow on this, this is a product that allows contractors to build a secure stair system earlier in the construction process. It makes the site safer for workers. It reduces man hours and provides safety access for emergency personnel. It sounds like you're checking all the boxes. That's correct. We try to make this easy for everybody. And we're trying to change the way stairs are done and modernize the way we do construction. Sounds great. Thanks for joining us today, Tyler. I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your knowledge with us about these prefab stair units. Absolutely glad to be here. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thanks. Construction Specialties is so focused on the importance of mastering movement that they have created a CEU specifically on mastering movement on the job site with modular stairs. Each course is worth one AIA LU HSW and is part of the Mastering Movement Academy provided by CS. Visit masteringmovement.net to take this and other courses. Okay, so the other thing as a continuation of the people that have floated through my life in some capacity and asking for their definition of how they would describe a great employee, I was like, okay, what happens if I just type what makes a great employee into my Google search bar? Into the wonderful world of the internet? (laughs) Yes. I got 800 billion responses. Sure. Right? There is no shortage. Shortage. Yeah, I bet. Of advice. Actually, when I read that, I was like, maybe we shouldn't do this episode because there's clearly so much information already out there. Too much. Yeah. Funny. So, well, how can I kind of thin down? Where can I find value in this? So one of the ways I kind of looked at it was, since there's so many opinions out there, I started my search by trying to find out information from the employee perspective. Mm, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I changed my query from what makes a great employee? Cause that makes it sound like the employer is asking that question. Mm-hmm. So I was like, how can I discover what traits might be valuable, important if I'm the employee? And so my search query was now centered around what do the most successful people as defined by raises and promotions and job opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. What do those people do to get ahead? Mm-hmm. That's kind of like saying, I want to get promoted. What do I got to do? Yeah. 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 I want to improve my station in life through my, what I do yeah. other than work hard. So that narrowed it down from 800 billion to like a hundred billion. Yeah. It was still interesting. So I read a bunch of them and I extracted a couple that I thought would be worth talking about. And again, none of these seem to be particularly specific to our industry, which in some way makes it even better for me. Again, we're talking about portable skills. Yeah. I want you to be a great employee regardless of where you go. Yeah, wherever you're at, for sure. Okay, so I just have some random ones that I put in here. So here's one, we can talk about it. While a promotion is something to celebrate, successful people don't see it as the end goal. Agree or disagree? Oh yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. 
I think, again, this may be a rather strange opinion, but I think a good employee or even, I mean, even I want to say when I was a good employee, I didn't care about those things. It was all about myself. What was I doing that made myself happy or feel better? Or what? It was all self-motivation, self-driven. Yeah. If I happen to get things along the way, that's great. But that wasn't what I was trying to do. Yeah. I was just trying to be a better version of myself as a worker or an employee or an architect or whatever it is, right? Like I'm just trying to be better at doing that thing. If I happen to get accolades and promotions or whatever, great, but I'm still trying to be better at it, right? I'm just trying to be better at being me. Okay. So was there a time when that self-awareness manifested itself? Because I can tell you that I agree with all that, but I'm pretty sure that's not how I behaved for the first five or six years I got out of school. I'm not trying to say my, my behavior was motivated by getting ahead. I just don't think I was that self-aware, right? I didn't have, ooh, if I do A, B, and C, then something will happen. I just was kind of like, how can I do what I want to do? How can I get to like, what's going to make me better at doing? For me, like getting my license, that was a big part of it. Yeah. Right? And so every job I was getting, I was like, I don't know how to keep water out of a building. All they do is ask me to design stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'd go change a job and they would say, all right, you're going to be detailing this stuff. And that would last like a month. And they're like, we got other guys that can do that. We're going to have you go do this instead. Yeah. And the irony is I changed a lot of these jobs because I thought I'm not doing anything to prepare me to take the licensing exam. Like I go, I don't know how to detail a tilt wall, wall section. Yeah. I don't know how to do that. Yeah. And I remember there was a guy that I worked with. He came in, he was like maybe a year younger than I was. And he started cranking out all these tilt wall, wall sections. I was like, where did you learn how to do this? And he goes, last place I worked. <laughs> I mean, it was like really straightforward. And I was like, is it that easy? You just got to go someplace that teaches you how to do this. Cause no place I've ever worked yeah, ever taught that. me how sure. like, you got to figure it out for yourself. Yeah. Again, that was a lot of small firm stuff. It's like, I'm going to go get a book. Yeah. Go see if you can't find something on the internet now. Right. So I didn't become self-aware in that regard till I was probably 28 or 29, to be honest with you. Mm, interesting. I guess I shouldn't say agree or disagree because we're going to agree with all these. <laughs> I mean, uh, they're just, they're pretty obvious. So here's one. What's not obvious is that I actually included this in my list of eight or nine things. They actually like their job. Shocking. Yeah. Yeah. That one's difficult. And I think by that though, what you have to realize is it's not that you like it all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like I like my job a hundred percent of the time. That's not what that means. Right. But it just means overall, I like my job. I mean, I really like teaching. There are parts of other things about this that I don't like at all, but I really like teaching. So I like my job. I liked being an architect. There are certain parts about, you know, running a business that I didn't like, but overall, yeah, I like what I do. Yeah. If you have the attitude, you get out of bed and you're like, your default is I'm getting to go do what I want to do. Yeah. Generally speaking, not like, oh, I got a meeting at 11. That I, oh. yeah. I got to get, I'm going to work. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If you're like, other than your job is lottery winner, <laughs> I think that getting out of bed because you don't have to get out of bed if you're a lottery winner. Yeah, yeah. But getting out of bed and saying, okay, something cool might happen today. Something fun might happen today. So I might learn something that gets me going. If you get out of bed and you're like, oh, another day, another dollar, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Then you're going to struggle. I think you're going to struggle a little bit. I've always tried to define that. That's a definition to me between a job and a career. I mean, a job is one of those things where it's like, oh, I got to go do it. But if it's your career, it should be something that you're, most days you're motivated to get out of bed and go do something. Okay, the next one I have on my list, I'm kind of a little surprised that it made my cut when I put it on here. And it was, they don't say yes to everything. 
And I go, mm, all right, I believe that now because I have a, one of the young men that I mentor in my office. He says yes to everything, like everything. And it's killing him. Yeah. And I go, you need some focus. Right now, you're moving one step down the path every day, but on like 20 different paths, as opposed to picking two paths and getting 10 steps down that path every day. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason I find that, I was going to say ironic, but it's not ironic. It's hypocritical. (laughs) It's hypocritical because I wrote a post in 2014 saying, you should say yes more often. And what was funny is the perspective that I was talking about saying yes had to do with unplanned things happening to you because you just showed up. Yeah. Like somebody says, do you blank? Will you blank? Will you help me with blank? And you don't know where that's going to take you. You don't know what kind of pivots that's going to, like what opportunities are going to present themselves because you said yes and you showed up. Yeah. And that was my perspective. However, we did episode 97 was burnout. (laughs) And that really does come from when you say yes too often. Too much, yeah. Because you don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. That's a terrible thing. Like don't don't ever do that. You're better off by not doing something, and maybe trying to help them find a way that I can't do it. But let me see if I can't find someone else who can help you do it. Like still be a part of the solution. Mm-hmm. But you just can't say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one of the hardest lessons for me to learn. Actually, as a young business owner, saying yes to every project that came through the door because I just felt like I had to. Yeah, it took me a while to be able to say, you know what? No, I don't need to do that. That's not what. That's not something that we're we either want to do or that we feel like we're good at. And being able to say no, and let me point you to somebody who might help you. Don't just be like, nope, I'm not going to do it. But no, but be helpful. But learning to say no to things that just don't point you or get you in the direction that you want to go. It's a hard lesson to learn, but it's a valuable lesson to learn. Even some of those things in your say yes more post, there are parts that I agree to. You just have to know which ones, and I think that's hard too, but yeah. if you're already over-swamped, you can't keep saying yes to stuff, because yeah. it will be the death of you. Yeah, and it really does start to feed into the things that, it's kind of like, I'm making this up on the fly here. It's kind of like if you're making a, a dish, and I don't know, let's say you're, you're making steak, and somebody goes, will you put pepper on it? And you're like, yes. Will you put salt on it? Yes. Will you put garlic on it? Yes. And you're like, it's so far so good. Yeah. And somebody goes, will you put banana slugs on it? And you're like, no, I shouldn't because it's going to ruin every. That's going to change yeah. everything else. Yeah. And that's kind of really the point of if you say yes to everything, then at some point, the next yes is going to make all the previous yeses worse. Yeah. It's not additive. It's like across, like you're going to reach a point to where everything starts to do badly. It's destructive in a way almost. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I thought that was an interesting on there, considering I'd taken a position just nine years ago that said the exact opposite. A little bit different context, but still. Yeah. And you know, I still kind of believe with saying yes a lot. Generally speaking, I'm still a yes person. Yeah, I am too. I think I'm, it depends, I guess it depends on what it is. Would you like to go to the bar? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Would you like this cheeseburger? Yes. (laughs) I tend to say yes more to volunteerism things than I do to paid things, if that makes sense. I think that's more where I fall in as I'm like, if somebody wants me to volunteer to help them do something or do, yes, I'll do that. If somebody wants me to do something, get paid to do whatever, whatever. That's more when I'm willing to say no, because it doesn't work for what, like professionally what I want to do. Right. Yeah. I also think it's kind of cool when somebody thinks that I have something that you could make better for me mm-hmm. and you go, no. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. It's like, 
like, oh, Bob, I have this thing. And if you could help, I think you'd be great and you could make things better. I'm like, pass, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, nah, it's not for me. Thanks for asking though. I know. I know. So here's another one. They use their mistakes as a springboard to self-improvement. Yeah. That's a tough one though, but yes. Well, sometimes it's just, it's like saying, all right, well, I'm going to take this mistake and I'm going to learn from it. There's a story that I've told a thousand times, and I wish I could remember where I got it from, but it was an IBM exec in the 70s did something, he screwed something up and he lost a million dollar account, which in the 70s, that was a huge account. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money now, but I mean, it might be losing like a $10 million. I mean, it was a big deal. Yeah, it was more so. Yeah. So he goes into his boss's office and he says, I got some bad news. I did this. It was wrong. I made a mistake. They fired us. It's a million dollar count. And then I guess rather than being fired, he turned in his resignation as a way of acknowledging that he really screwed up. And his boss says, well, I don't accept your resignation because I literally just paid a million dollars for you to learn a lesson that you will never forget. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, that resonated with me. It's, I heard that story so long ago, I can't remember where it came from anymore. But it's one of these things that you think, all right, something bad happened, but I can take something positive and build upon it. I think it's really healthy to have that perspective on it. You can't just be like, oh, well, things happen. Yeah, I also think this is where that, that idea of between confidence and arrogance comes in. Because I think if you're confident, you'll realize that you can make mistakes. And you can learn from them. But when you're arrogant, you think you don't make any mistakes. Or if you made them, well, there's nothing you can glean from them, right? It's somebody else's shortcoming if they think yeah. that you're wrong. I'm not yeah. wrong. You just don't understand. Yeah, exactly. You know? I agree. I think it's, it's a good quality. I think it's a hard one to learn. That comes with a lot of self-awareness and a lot of maturity. All right, here's one. They look for opportunities to get in front of others. This one is an interesting one for me. Mm-hmm. Because I talk about this with my the people that I mentor quite a bit. And because in our office, you know, 100 people, I've got people that their job is they come to work and they draw all day mm -hmm. and they interact with two or three people, you know, while this is yeah. going on or they're working towards some deliverable. They're not like whistling and walking down the hall and high-fiving people and saying, what are you working on? And like, they don't go to- Finger gunning everybody. What's up? What's up? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're not those people. Yeah. And I do have people that are like that. They're very social. They get out. They move around. They, their job puts them in front of other people. And I've noticed that those people get recognized for their accomplishments more readily than the people that show up, put their head down, and work. And I struggle with that a little bit. I don't struggle with the reason for, for understanding why it happens. It's pretty self-apparent why that happens. But I don't think it's necessarily fair that the people that that guy, he puts his head down and just does his job and, and he's very methodical. Like one of the guys I met, he does that. He shows up, he doesn't complain. He's got the greatest attitude and he's an asset on every project that he works to because of the work ethic, the attention, the detail. I mean, he just doesn't, Yeah. he's very, very good at what he does. Not that many people could tell you one thing about this guy. He's just not that way. So part of what we talk about is, and I've mentioned it on other episodes, we have groups in our office and they're called more groups. And I was like, maybe you should sign up and participate in a more group so that people can get to know who you are a little bit more. You know, take an hour every week or two mm -hmm. and go to the professional development more. Maybe like take a leadership role in one of those. Show people that you're more than just a heads down drawing kind of guy. Like take on some additional responsibilities. That's the thing. Look for the opportunities to get in front of others. That's part of the reason we created those more groups 
It's to let people get out from the little box that they're in and engage with others, take on tasks that they might not normally get assigned due to the nature of their job. So I'm on board with this one. Yeah, but I do understand, and I know it never seems that way, but at heart, I'm an introvert and I can understand that and that it's difficult. But I think that you do always at least have to find some way to make that work for you and to get get out and get in front of other people or even our next little item on the list as well. But you have to make some effort. And even though I know as an introvert, it's going to drain your battery and you're going to be spent for the rest of the day after that one hour, it's still something you just got to do. You kind of have to suck it up and realize it's part of growth that has to happen. And that's really what it is, is it's part of growth, not just in my profession, but as a person. And I just, I kind of have to, I have to do that. Yeah. Well, you would probably know this more than anybody. People are surprised to learn that I'm not an extrovert. Mm. I'm not so introverted that I need to go sit in a room by myself all the time, but I do not get my battery recharged by being around a bunch of people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's exactly, we're, we're the same in that way that it just drains a lot. We've got a point. It drains us and then we're, we're out. We're done. The battery is depleted, but yeah. Yeah. Get along to go along for a while. And when that moment comes, it's like, it's like a hundred percent. Like it's nothing. Everything's great. And then it's not. Yeah. It's a little worse for you than it is for me. Yeah. Well, the demands, like if we go somewhere public, there's a lot of painted donkey stuff that I got to go through. Yeah, I know. And I have a good attitude about it. And then I don't. And, (laughs) you know, but that's the thing. Part of it is you got to step outside of your comfort every now and then. You kind of go, what's more important for me to stay in my comfort zone? Or like maybe I would like some additional responsibility and not just be this person that's in cubicle number five with their head down delivering by doing amazing drawings. Yeah. So you just got to find the right, the right form for you to engage with others. Yeah. And that will take trial and error. That's the thing. You're not going to do it the first time. No. But I honestly think people can find their place. Oh, yeah. Okay, so the next one on the list that Andrew brought up, and I even wrote on here, when I put it on there, I go, this is going to make a lot of people irritated, but it showed up on a lot of lists. And we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but just as a standalone, socialize. People who get advanced and promotions and like what defines success at their job is the social aspect of the work. Mm -hmm. I have no... I have no bone to pick with somebody who thinks that that shouldn't be on this list. But I'm also, I've been around the block enough to realize that there's definitely some positive ramifications to socializing in the workplace. Yeah. It's the same of everything when we talk about networking or any of that kind of stuff. It's just being able to interact and have relationships because in reality, all business comes down to relationships at some point. Yes. And I talk about with some of my colleagues, everybody can do the job. So if everybody can do the job, then what's the next thing on that? And it said, you know what? You can do the job and you're a good human being. You're a good person. You're someone I want to be around and interact with in some way. And again, it doesn't necessarily mean like 100% of the time, but when we have social interactions, you're someone that I enjoy talking to, even if it's just in passing for five or 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of thing that you want to be around in your workplace. Yeah, absolutely. It matters. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to hit on two more here, and then we're going to pivot a bit. So this one is just titled Stay Positive. The point being that no matter how close your deadline is or how heavy your workload is, that other people are going to take their cues from you. So if you're snapping at people and you're frowning, they're going to snap right back at you. So instead, 
take a breath, put a smile on your face, and show that you're where you're supposed to be. And just do what you got to do. Now, this is not necessarily a practice what you preach thing. And so I'll say this publicly, as publicly as this podcast is. One of the traits that my friend Miranda has, and I've told her this, she's so positive. She's so calming to be around. And so like, she's always got a smile on her face. She never complains. She's just, she's great on so many, so many different levels. And we work on a lot of projects together mm-hmm. that I've told her she's really, she's like my cooler. I'll get fired up about something and she'll just like, she will just, she'll bring it in. Like just having her around me. That's funny. Centers and brings me back down to this stay positive. So rather than complain about something, pivot, find a way to move forward. And don't be that crabby patty that everybody's yeah. like, like nobody wants to be around that person. Yeah, it's funny. I think, I don't think you should be crabby patty. Like, I don't think you should be bitter about things, but I'm also like, I get annoyed if you're too happy. That's just me. You can be pleasant, but if like you're super giddy and happy all the time, I feel like there's something wrong with you. <laughs> okay, you're broken, number one. <laughs> but, but you're too happy. Not everything is positive, but your attitude about things can be positive, but not everything is positive. So let's just tone it down a little bit, but that's just me. I do think the bitterness, like that's, no, that does no one any good at all. You or the, or the things that you're being bitter about, neither one of those are going to change in half the time. I just half the time. I bet 90% of the time, all it does is impact you, not the thing you're bitter about. Oh, oh, for sure. You know, <laughs> you're just being mad about something and then you're the only person that it affects your work and everything else and your relationships because you're bitter and whatever you're bitter about doesn't change at all. So- you know, there's a fable that came to mind. I don't even know if fable's the right word for it. And it had to do with like these two monks are walking through the forest. You might have heard this before too. One's old, old monk. One's a young monk. And celibacy, the whole thing, like it's an order of men. They're not supposed to touch women. They're not supposed to do any that kind of stuff. And they come to this river passing. And the water's probably waist high. And, and there's a woman there. And she's kind of freaking out. And the old monk says, well, climb on my back. I'll carry you across. She can't swim. And the young monk looks at him like, what? You're not supposed to have anything to do with women. Like, that's, well. So she climbs on his back. Old monk carries her across, sets her down. They go about their ways. And, I don't know, like a mile down, the young monk is like, you know, I don't understand. Like, you've been doing this a long time. You know that we're not supposed to be doing that kind of stuff. And the old monk goes on to say, well, I set her down a mile ago, and you're still carrying her. Mm-hmm. Yeah kind of the idea and it's the I don't know how appropriate that is for I don't know how old the story is I don't know why it's in my brain who can explain any of these things yeah but it's the idea of carrying something beyond the point of which it serves its purpose yes everybody gets mad everybody gets upset someone gets frustrated but your ability to like shut that off and move on yeah that's a good thing for not just you but for everybody around you and I'll tell you Miranda while she doesn't like Whistle zippity doodah as she's heading into the salt mines. Like she's yeah. not that overly happy. She's not a happy, happy. She's not that person. But what she is, is she's unflappable. Mm. Maybe a better way to put it. And yeah. as a result, everybody likes working with her. I mean, they like working with her because she's good at what she does, but she's got a great disposition. She's got a great kind of energy she brings to the room. Mm-hmm. And I know that I benefit from her working on my projects just from that energy. So when those things do kind of take a left, She's cooler on the whole thing. Yeah. It helps the entire room. So. Yeah. Last one I'm going to put on here, and this might be the most controversial one. I don't know. 
but I think it's a good one. And to reiterate what do successful people as defined by, you know, promotions and job opportunities, what do they do to get ahead? Like, why are they doing so much better than everyone else? The last one on this list is they think like employers, not employees. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that it's much easier to recognize that truth once you've, once you've been both. Yeah, I would agree. You know, and I think part of it has to do with, and I'm not saying that if you're an employee, you're selfish. I'm not trying to suggest that at all. But I'm saying you might not be aware of the 800 moving parts that are going on because they don't impact your ability to do your job and to do great at what you do. Like you're tasked with this and you are killing it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, why can't I get fill in the blank? And you're like, well, I'd love to give you fill in the blank, but we need to pay Arizona mission insurance. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, maybe there's something to this that doesn't vilify the employer and the employee doesn't go. It's not just all about them. They're like, I'm trying to do the best I can for a hundred people or a hundred things. And it's not just, I think most employees get that, but I'll tell you until I actually became like in that position where I became aware of all the 10,000 moving parts, Mm -hmm. I didn't appreciate it. Mm -hmm. This was in the last 10 years. Yeah. So I was in my mid forties when a light bulb went off, when I started to be exposed to all the different things that were going on that made me go, maybe that's why we have a five-year-old crummy rug underneath this table. Yeah. I'm like, why can't we get a better rug? This one's gross. Like, we should get a better rug. <laughs> well, yeah. now maybe I know why. We're, yeah. We're spending money somewhere else. I could boil that down into, I mean, again, this is really simplistic, but a holistic versus a self-centric view. When you start to think like an employer, you have a much more holistic view of everything that's happening. Whereas an employee, most of the time, this is a general thing. I'm not trying to raise whatever, but like, Direct your comments towards Andrew Hawkins. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but you're a little bit more self-centric in the way that you look at things and feel about things. I mean, yes, maybe you're part of a team, but you're still, you don't have this larger idea of the broader scope of everything that's happening in a business. There's a whole lot of stuff that you don't know. Because I can always, the story I always tell about this is, man, when I was 31 and I'd been working for about seven years and I thought I knew everything about being an architect and then I bought the company, I learned I didn't know anything <laughs> about being an architect you know i mean like i knew such a minute part about what it takes to actually do it all make it all work that right there like changed my mind or changed my views completely it's just a different viewpoint and i think being able to take that viewpoint or get to it and understand it i mean it will change the way you operate for sure you know what i think maybe this could be distilled or like described by once you've had to fire somebody yeah you know, as agonizing as that is, oh, yeah. oh, you know, or lay God. somebody off. Yeah. And so yeah. people are like, you're like, I work with all these selfish, crummy bosses. And you're like, you probably don't have any idea. Yeah. Sure. Oh, look, people don't come at me. There are crummy bosses yes. everywhere. Like that's not specific to our profession. We're not singularly full of crummy bosses. Yeah. But I know a lot of people that they make decisions on, I don't want to lay somebody off. I worked for a company where the two owners didn't take a paycheck for like almost an entire year so that they didn't have to lay anybody off. Yep. I did that. Yeah. And you know what? They don't walk around saying, hey, everybody, hope you like your job. I'm not getting any money. Like they did. I didn't know they did that. Yeah. I never told any of my employees that I wasn't getting paid. No. I just paid them, paid their money and moved on. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things that sometimes you make decisions because you're like... I'm not trying to not give that person something. I'm trying to make sure that everybody gets something. 
you know, I had somebody make a comment, and I probably won't get it right, but one of the things that they were complaining about had to do with, like, I've never met a boss that wasn't selfish. And my gut reaction was, man, you must have just had, like, crummy bosses all your time. I mean, yeah. I've had all my bosses at one point or another, maybe they did something I felt was selfish, but they also take on all the risk. If somebody's not getting paid, they're the ones not getting paid first. I mean, that's been my experience. It's not always the case, but yeah. It's not always the case, but it's just one of those things that, and this person in this comment, they said, I've never seen an employer do anything other than what's best for the business. He says that like it's an accusation. And I'm like, you do realize that part of those decisions keep the business in business. And maybe those people yeah. have jobs because they're thinking about the business. Yeah. It's just one of those things that kind of sticks with me a little bit. And it doesn't stick with me necessarily in a good way. But I do think the comment, they think like employers, not employees, suggests that they have a bigger, broader picture of what the goals are at hand. And that might motivate their behavior other than what's good for me right now. Mm-hmm. And some people say, mm, you get yours, right? Because you could leave or you could get fired. Like you're under no responsibility to do what's best for the firm. Sure. I'm not saying put the firm's best interests in front of yours. Like you got to make good decisions. Yeah. But if you're going to do what's right for you, you shouldn't get upset if the business does what's right for the business, right? Like why can you do it and they can't do it, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I get it. It's a difficult thing. It's funny. I remember having conversations with you before you got to be in a role where you were, had some of that stuff mm -hmm. and you would like blow off things that I was saying and I would try to explain things and you're like, no, that's not how it works. And I would just have to be like, okay, you're not there, mm -hmm. but you get it now. Oh, thank you. Oh, Sage, Andrew. <laughs> I'm not saying that. We were just in different positions. I mean, that's all it is. Yeah. You had your own business for a decade before I even started to smell it. Yeah, for sure. Different things, right? But now you get it. I mean, it didn't take you that long to be in that role before you got it. I guess the thing about it is like, even though you think you get it until you're actually in it and have to do it, you don't get it. I don't know what it is. There is a dynamic that's slightly different for sure. I think it's just, just I don't know how else you deal with it. Okay. So I'm going to pivot to the second to last piece of today's show and I'm going to skip over. I wrote a bunch of notes here and I'm not going to use them. I mean, I might stick them in the blog post. So if you guys want bonus content, that's where you can find it. So that article that I wrote in 2013, I wrote down one, two, three, four, five, five things that I, that I wanted to bring in today. And we've kind of hit on some of them already. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The reason I thought I wanted to include this was, you know, like I'd mentioned, I wasn't in a leadership position at the time. And this was more of a list of personal reflections about what I felt was important. And like, I need to admit, this is not the list that I would make today which is not the same thing as saying that these things don't matter or still provide value. These are just the things that I thought would make an employee better and what they would want from their employee. I wrote it from the employee's position, quite honestly. Yeah, and you'd been in the profession almost 20 years at this point? 19, is that right? 19 years. I was still an employee at this time. No, and I'm just saying, not even a new employee, like an employee with some experience. I was as upper middle management as possible. Yeah. I was like the grand poobah of employees, one hair away from ownership. Yeah. But I wasn't an owner yet, so I didn't have, they didn't show me the wizard behind the curtain. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'll skim through most of these, might settle in on a couple. I wrote, make the firm's problems your problem. And I go, everybody likes the person who helps make their life a little easier. 
making the effort to say, I can take care of this and actually being able to take care of things will always get you noticed as someone who can be counted on in a crisis. Solving these problems normally requires extra effort, extra time, and extra risk, but these are the only things that will get you to more responsibility. I still still paying my hat on that one, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. It can be condensed down into the see a need, fill a need. So I look at as an employer, I look at an employee, I go, man, if they make my life better because they go, hey, this could be done differently or this could be better and they're proactive and they go, well, let me do this. Man, absolutely. I will step out of the way, see if I can't help them get to a point that they have some ownership in something and it makes life better for everyone else. Of course, make the firm's problems your problem. Yeah, no disagreement. Right? Not a bad one, I don't think. So seek out opportunities. We kind of already touched on that one. But I did write in here, I go, one thing that I always did that seemed few of my fellow architect co-workers did was to go and ask my employers for additional responsibility. I believe that the employee-employer relationship works best for both groups when communication flows in both directions. While it's up to your employer to find you meaningful work to do, they can't read your mind. If there are responsibilities that you want to do, you need to go and ask for it. Okay, fair. I don't have a problem with that. Still don't. Yeah, I definitely think that for sure of talking to people about things that you would like to do or if you want more responsibilities, just showing up, doing the work and doing everything you're supposed to do doesn't necessarily read me as an employer to say, oh man, they want more things to do. I mean, I'm not going to, me, I was never going to make that assumption to say, well, oh, you do stuff, you want to do more. I think it's a conversation, it's not a demand, that's the difference. You don't go in and demand more responsibility, but you can ask for it for sure. Yeah, I think generally people respond better to requests than demands. But I also think it suggests, I don't know, maybe a time and a place, because when I went and asked for additional responsibilities, my expectation is I'm going to be putting in more time. Mm. When I'm asking for more, I'm taking on more. I'm not subtracting what they already told me I needed to do Sure. so that I could do something else that I wanted to do. And I don't know that everybody's like that now. And they may not be, but it's still the conversation to be had. I guess that's the thing is like, okay, that's fine. But if you want to do this and say you want to do that, and maybe we can work something out to where, okay, well, maybe you don't do this anymore, so you can do this. Yeah. But the point of it is to me is, is you got to go ask for things or, you know, have conversations about it. Let someone know that you're interested in it. You can't just expect those things to fall in your lap. Yes. Okay. I have on my list here, and I don't, I'm not going to talk about it, but it seems like an easy one and it's learn the business vertically. And this is kind of what we were talking about earlier, and that's the difference between thinking like an employee versus thinking like an employer. If you learn Mm -hmm. the business vertically, you know what decisions are being made, or at least you can acknowledge or think about what might be going on, and that might put you in a position to understand why things are happening one way versus not happening the way you initially might have thought they should be happening. Mm -hmm. The next one on my list, and I'm not going to get into this one either because we already talked about it, but it had to do with resolving problems before they become problems. And that's really the do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. And I wrote, if you consistently fail or let down the people who count on you, why would they ever come back to you for assistance? Staying ahead of the issues is actually more important than how you're able to handle those issues once they become problems. Mm. If you're just making problems for other people, you're not long for this world. I mean, live and learn. Great. Nobody's perfect all the time. That's part of the grow upon your mistakes, like build them in your workflow, whatever you got to do. But if you can't internalize mistakes and grow upon them, they're not going to keep you around. Mm-hmm. That's in our next podcast titled Things That Will Get You Laid Off. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to get fired? Yeah. Yes. 
Okay, I'm not really sure that I want to read this one, but it's in the article, so I don't know I can not uh, say Yeah, it. I know. I was kind of like, whoa, what's that? But all right. Well, but I still, I don't think it's wrong. I just think the way I went about trying to explain it showed maybe where my head was at in 2013. Mm-hmm. And this was, t- the, f- the way I put it was, you need to help hide the bodies. And sometimes you have to tow the company line and take one for the team. And at the time, especially then, as a residential architect, I have found myself in some situations that put me right in the middle between the clients I work for and the employers who pay my salary. When you think your employers are wrong, you need to stop a minute before you do something you regret and think about what happens tomorrow and the next day. This isn't about compromising your values. This is about deciding which team you're going to play for. Sometimes that means digging a hole and jumping in it. Mm. I will tell you, I remember specifically what was happening that made me think this. And that's because... A client came and hired the firm and they liked working with me and they told my boss that they didn't want to work with him. They wanted to work with me. And my boss was pissed about that. He's like, Mm. you don't get to decide who in my office works on what. Yeah. And so the client came and I pulled me aside and goes, okay, how can we make this work? What do we got to do? And I'm like, he pays my paycheck. Yeah. If I'm picking a team, it's going to be with them because that's a tomorrow decision, not a right now decision. Mm Mm-hmm. So I know that's part of the reason that I put that out there. I mean, who knows? Maybe if I'd gone with him, I'd, I would have been his in-house architect and my life would look completely different now. But that's part of it. It's like, you've got to make a decision on, you know, what team you're going to play for. Yeah. I'm going to think that again becomes, it's about being a team player. So I wrote an article in uh, 2017 titled Attitude Reflects Leadership. And this really is about when towing the company line is wrong. Mm. And there's good ways to deal with it and bad ways to deal with it. And that article, when I talked about it, the construction company did something they shouldn't have done. They didn't see something through. They made a mistake. One of the guys was like, not my problem, your fault. I mean, he was towing the company line. Oh, uh uh-huh. And I called the senior guy and I just blew him up. I mean, I use language that I've never, I mean, I've used it before, but not in this context. And he handled it so good. He's like, yeah, you're right. We're going to take care of it. Like he did everything he should have done. And I felt terrible. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you felt like a jerk after he's like, oh man. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. And I was mad at the first guy. Cause I go, he was covering his butt. He wasn't about, okay, well, yeah. rather than trying to sign responsibility for who is or isn't at fault, what do we need to do to solve the problem? That's the right way to handle that. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of like, not my fault. I didn't do it. You didn't do this. That's what he was about. That's when I, I kind of put in there and I went, well, so attitude reflects leadership. And there are times when you have to remind yourself that the person you're dealing with might simply be doing what they were told. Mm, yeah. I didn't need to explode on that guy because he was just doing what he was told to do. Yeah. But I'm anti butt covering in this context. And that's what he was doing. And I did not, I was not down for that. <laughs> <laughs> didn't appreciate that, huh? I didn't appreciate it. And, you know, and it actually led to me reflecting back on a post talking about how your behavior matters, which is actually probably one of my favorite blog posts that I ever wrote. I don't know. Maybe I'll put a link to it. It's one of the best lessons I ever learned as a professional architect, to be honest with you. So I thought that was eat your vegetables, but no, you thought one of my favorites was eat your vegetables. Yeah. I mean, these are all classics. Let's be honest. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, We've been at this for quite a while. I know. Do we feel like we've painted a picture about a great employee? These are the boxes. I don't think it's super complicated. Yeah, I think so, right? 
the takeaway for me, the summary for me is really it's not so much about related to our profession is what makes you a good employee. It's actually none of those things. It's all the other things about, I would say, being a good person or being proactive or just motivated about being at your work. I'm not saying that means being motivated means you're there 80 hours a week. That's not what it is. Because I've always been a person, I'm task-oriented. You get the job done. I don't care how long it takes you. If I give you six hours and you can get it done in two, great. If it takes you six, that's fine. If it takes you eight, that's fine as long as you tell me. I think it's just about being a good person in the environment that is work. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we're bringing back an old favorite. (laughs) We're going to do a bottom three ranking. The bottom three. What's the rank? The bottom three of what's the rank. And we haven't done one of these in a few months. And this one kind of fell in my lap. I was on a, I'll just tell you what it is. We had a mega pack of crayons right by my desk. And we're kind of talking about which ones we liked and which ones we didn't like. So I thought a good ranking would be the bottom three worst crayon names for the color. Yeah. And, you know, there's a couple different ways you can go about this. Like you could say, let me know how you did it. Did you just go straight based on the name or like if the name doesn't conjure up some idea of what the color actually is? I just went for the ones. I was thinking like if I was a crayon doctor and I was like, nurse, hand me that crayon. And they're like, which one? And I go, and I have some stupid yeah. middle red razzmatazz. I'm out. That's a, dumb, that's a dumb color name. Yeah. Right? My approach on this one was ones that don't really give me a good indication of color. That's what you did? Yeah. I thought about that. So I will say I cheated a little bit. I did an honorable mention for worst three, and it was kind of based on that. Hmm. So my honorable mention was Razzmatazz, Fuzzy Wuzzy, Middle Blue Purple, and Maximum Yellow Red. Are the, Did you choose these? <laughs> yes. Are you going to have to cut them out? <laughs> okay. We just cut all that part out. <laughs> I chose Razzmatazz, which now you said like four times. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you'll just have to say, all right, well, that's on my list. Well, clearly it's a bad one because it made my honorable mention. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's just let's just go to number three, then two, then one. So what's your okay. number three? It, sh- it should be Rasmataz now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was Manatee. Ooh. You know what? I saw that one. I thought about it. It's kind of gray, right? Yeah. But you know how many people, if you said Manatee, they wouldn't know what that is, first <laughs> off. Like, I don't think a lot of people know what that is. A lot of children are like, I really like A lot that. of adults <laughs> either know what a Manatee is. And then, yeah, yes, it's gray, but I was just like, that's not a color. Okay. Manatee. I did pause and I read that one. And I was kind of curious as to, is this whole list going to be full of animals? Right? Right. I know. All right. Like, what am I getting myself into? All right. My number three was oatmeal. <laughs> I go, that's a dumb name. Yeah. Yeah. Oatmeal. What color does that even conjure up? Like, I'm, I'm assuming. Beige. Grayish. Yeah. Like a. Dirty white. Yeah. I don't know. Oatmeal. That's a terrible name. Yeah. Not great. Certainly doesn't sound like a crayon I want to give to my child to use. Here, why don't you draw with this oatmeal? Oddly enough, it tastes like oatmeal because oatmeal tastes gross. Yeah. Well, there you go. I love oatmeal. Just not the crayon. Uh, I'm not an oatmeal person. Okay. What's your number two? Uh, Yeah. So my number two is razzmatazz. Razzmatazz. Because what color is that? That, in my mind, conjures zero colors. 
Like none for me personally. I do a little substitution and razzmatazz turns into like raspberry. So I tend to think it's in the uh, ready pinks, but there's no, interesting. why, why, why would that? Yeah. I don't know. It is a red pinkish color, but I, to mm. me, that, that's not what it does for me. I'm like the razzmatazz. Okay. In my mind, it's like confetti color. Like that's a lot of colors to me. Not one. Razzmatazz. Razzmatazz. It's like, cause right. Razzmatazz is a lot of stuff. And so I'm like, oh, that's like 50 colors. It's razzmatazz. Not one. If a crayon color was jazz hands, it would be razzmatazz. <laughs> Wait, don't they have jazz hands as a color? They have I jazz something as a color. I know. Well, uh, you don't know. Maybe that's my number two. All right. Jazz hands. <laughs> no. All right. My number two is inchworm. Ah, uh, yes. Inchworm. What? Yeah, that was on my list too. Because, what, that's a greenish color, right? You would think so. And it is, but that doesn't. I just went by word. I didn't. Uh... You just did terrible name. Yeah. Yeah, I go, I don't want to use a. I don't want to use an inchworm. An inchworm color? Yeah, that sounds weird. You know what this drawing needs? A little inchworm. A little inchworm. Well, a, an inch of inchworm. Only though, if you were coloring an inchworm, you could use inchworm. Mm, that's too deep. That's it's meta. Deep. Man, it's just meta. <laughs> I'm coloring my inchworm with inchworm. Uh, All right, so what's your number one? It's bittersweet. <laughs> I thought about that one. That was so dumb. Uh, yeah. Uh, bittersweet as a color? Come yeah, on. as a color. I know. And it's like an orangish color. Again, those things conjures no color to me whatsoever. So I was like, that's a dumb name because it doesn't, I can't get anything out of it. Well, so on my, on my honorable mention, the word two colors that I put on there that I don't understand. Like I understand the words, but one was middle blue purple, middle blue purple. Yeah, I know. What does that and mean? Is it middle blue or is it middle purple, but it's blue? Like, yeah. It's blue purple or what it could be middle purple blue. I, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, and yeah. the other was maximum yellow red. What? I don't, I don't even know what that means. Okay. Yeah. So my number, my number one was beaver. <laughs> I go, I go, what? Yeah. That's not a color either. It's not a color. That's not the name of a color. Like if it was, if it was beaver brown. Beaver brown. Exactly. Yeah. Or if you were to flip those two words, maybe. Yeah. But just beaver. No. Mm-mm. Yeah. To me, it's not even the right color. I would expect beaver to be really dark. I'm not having it. Yeah. You know, they have one called Outer Space, but I thought that was actually kind of cool. Yes, they do. <laughs> instead of, outer instead space. of being black, just they call it Outer Space. But it's not black, right? It's I a little know. bit lighter. It's a charcoal. I must admit, I had to go and like Google search this thing to find all the current color lists, but I was, I was not intrigued by some of them because they were kind of dumb. <laughs> well, there you go. But maybe it's because they're for kids and not adults. And so maybe that makes sense. But like Timberwolf was one. It was like, yeah. what? What? I'm not, I don't like the animal names. It doesn't make sense to me. All right. Look, we got to wrap it up. Yep. So I'm going to say thank you for being with us today for episode 125, A Great Employee. Special thanks to Construction Specialties for their support of the Life of an Architect podcast. Construction Specialties is so focused on the importance of mastering movement that they have created a CEU specifically on mastering movement on the job site with modular stairs. Each course is worth one AIA LU slash HSW and is part of the Mastering Movement Academy by CS. Visit masteringmovement.net to take this and other courses. We would also like to thank our media partners, Building Design and Construction, for their ongoing support of the Life of an Architect podcast. Want to get every new episode automatically downloaded? 
We're available on all major podcast platforms, so hit that subscribe button and you'll get notified every two weeks when we publish a scrumptious new episode. While you're there, please take a few moments and leave us a five-star, you're the one that I want, rating. To get even more content, head over to lifeofanarchitect.com for blog posts, links, and info about this fantabulous episode and all the website has to offer. You can even add your own voice and join the conversation. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.